0: I don't know about you, but every so often I really need to mix up my shampoo and conditioner because I get sick of whatever I'm using. So I took this quiz online on Gemist's website, and they recommended products for me and then sent me the shampoo and conditioner, and now I am obsessed. So it's it's just amazing, and now I'm really excited that they're my sponsor. Not to mention that Gemist is a women-owned company. The CEO and founder is Allison Harr. She's a mom of two, a dog mom, and a Harvard grad. It's a subscription service, so I like don't even have to think about when I'm running out as opposed to you know, trying to squeeze out those last little drops from the containers and having nothing left. And they're quality ingredients, which are sulfate-free, paraben-free, dye-free, never tested on animals, and manufactured in the U.S., so that's all awesome. And it's shipped right to me, and well, will be to you as well. Uh, and it looks and smells amazing, so... Definitely try it out. Uh, If you're ready to have the best hair of your life, try Gemist. And right now, my listeners can give Gemist a try and get 20% off their shampoo and conditioner subscription. So go to Gemist.com, get your personal recommendation who doesn't love a quiz, and enter Zibby, Z-I-B-B-Y, at checkout for 20% off and free two-day shipping. That's Gemist.com, G E M M I S T and enter code ZIBBY at checkout to get the best hair of your life. Jennifer Ryan is a nonfiction editor and the author of The Chilberry Ladies' Choir, a novel that was inspired by stories her grandmother told her when she was a little girl. Her latest book, The Kitchen Front, is an unforgettable novel, truly, about a BBC-sponsored wartime cooking competition during World War II, where the grand prize was a job as the program's first female co-host. Both her books, The Chilmere Ladies' Choir, and then her second novel, The Spies of Schilling Lane, were praised by People Magazine, The New York Times Book Review, NPR, and Publishers Weekly. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Zuby. It's really great to be here. Um, Thanks. Well, I'm really excited to talk about your latest novel, The Kitchen Front, which really, I think, has a genius device, plot, and structure. So could you please tell listeners what it's about? And then we'll talk about what inspired you to write it.
1: So, well, it's about a cooking contest in Second World War Britain when there was a lot of rations and food shortages. And basically the premise of the book is that there's four contestants and they're all trying to win one prize. And the cooking contest runs in three different parts, the starter, a main course, and a dessert. But all of them have to run strictly by the rations that are available to them. And also using as many little techniques as they can to use the rations in a very good way. And it's it's basically, I, I kind of came up with the idea because I wanted to showcase all of these amazingly creative ways that housewives and cooks in the second world war kind of got through the whole rationing system. And yeah, so that's, that's kind of how it all started. Well, it's so neat because it's, it's like you made
0: it top chef world war two version. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you create the show and then you see, even with the rations, I mean, I couldn't believe you listed them somewhere. And of course now I can't find them, but just how little, people had to work with. I mean, it was really crazy how little a whole family would, would get for a given week. And you said like per adult. So I think it was per a child older than what was it eight or 12, they would get a certain amount of meat and a certain amount of sugar and a certain amount of, you know, everything. And I think about like how impossible it is to feed my kids now with like all the food in the world. I mean, not really, but you know what I mean? Like with like (laughs) the supermarkets full of options. Right. And then to have, Anyway, tell me, (laughs) tell me a little bit about how, so did you make these recipes? Because one of the things, and sorry, I'm rambling a little here because I'm like really excited. But one of the things I thought was so cool about this book is that you have recipes at the end of every chapter when you're talking about the different women, like Fenley Factory's Curried Salt Cod, and all these different like homily pie and everything. Where do these recipes come from? Let's start with that.
1: And so most of them came from the Ministry of Food. There was a scary sounding thing in the Second World War. And that uh, right at the beginning of the Second World War, the British government, they realized there was going to be a food issue. And I think everyone in Europe was had almost the same problem and they dealt with it in different ways. But the British government, they were all over this. They were like, OK, we don't want people to starve because that will lose us the war. And... So they put an awful lot of effort into it. And it was very draconian. I mean, really, they basically took over all the farms, told all the farmers what they had to produce. And then they took over all of the shops and basically said, right, this is what you have to sell. And this is, you know, everyone had a ration book and they they had to, you know, very strictly abide by the whole ration book system. And um, it was, yeah, so... I, I came across there was an awful lot of leaflets and recipes that they printed in order to try and get the you know get the get the whole um, population on their side with the whole rationing thing. So so me- a lot of them are Ministry of Food originals. Yes. Wow. So
0: and I know. In your bio, it said that you and your daughters love to cook. So did you
1: actually make any of these yourself? Of course, of course. You know, okay. there is nothing as, as so bad as writing a book about cooking because you just end up thinking, I wonder what that tastes like. And you've got, you just end up like lunchtime. I had mushroom soup for so long. <laughs> 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 the mushroom soup recipe is so tempting, and uh, but there were other things as well. I, I just there was uh, all of the cakes. We did all of the cakes plus more. We kind of trialed an awful lot of extra cakes that never made it into the book as well. <laughs> and yeah, no, it was it was great fun. But I also got a couple of recipe checkers as well to recipe check some of some of the more complicated ones just to make sure the balance of ingredients worked well and everything so that people could actually make them
0: (laughs) (laughs) you should take some of the ones that didn't make it into the book and put it on your website I should. You know?
1: That is a great yeah. idea. That's brilliant. I b- bonus content, you know. Yeah, no, <laughs> definitely, definitely. There was an awful lot of eggless cakes in different guises, um, so that was quite good. One thing that I didn't, I didn't try some of the more unusual ones, like sheep's head roll. Mm, I don't, yeah. I don't think you can even buy a sheep's head these days. <laughs> where would you go? You know? Yeah, I don't Whole Foods. I, mean, I don't want to go you would go. Yeah. <laughs> Whole Foods. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Oh my gosh. And I know that, so your grandmother used to tell you stories about World War II. Is this right? Did yeah. she informed some of the backdrop for this novel?
1: Oh yeah, no, very much so. She just loved cooking and she was like renowned in our family as the big cook, you know, the one who could make the gravy that's just perfect and everything. And we called her party granny, actually, because she loved hosting, parties and things and she would make the most amazing spreads and keep everyone you know very fed and everything and she very much had this idea that you nourish who you love you know and you know giving someone food and feeding is is how she demonstrated her love for us I I think as her family but everyone I think (laughs) she talked about cooking a lot and did a lot of cooking and her cooking was very different from say my mother's or what we would cook today. And a lot of that was because rationing went on in the UK until 1954. So she would cook an awful lot with offal. There was a lot of offal recipes and there was an awful lot of meat fat as well. So lard, she would cook a lot with lard and suet and things and put it into pastries and puddings and things like that. And I mean, it it was just a very different type of cooking that she would do. And it always sort of intrigued me. And then when I started looking into the Second World War, I was like, of course, this is exactly what she used to cook. And this these are the reasons why. And I, I suppose in a way, you know, there's, there's an element as well in the book, which is like there's a legacy of, you know, passing down traditions from generation to generation. And that it, you know, her recipe book, her cooking book, my mother has it. And it's just this wonderful feeling that there's this knowledge and tradition that is passed down. And I really wanted to, you know, bring that back to life and everything.
0: I have in my kitchen, I have the whole container case with all of the note cards of my grandmother's handwritten recipes. You know, and all the things that she pulled out of magazines and newspapers back in the day, she would be probably 90-something at this point. But no, I love it. You can take them out and they're all yellowed and they're probably not things I would necessarily want to eat, but there's cakes in there that are amazing and I remember her making and it's just so nice to have that record of another time and place. I should put it in a book or I should put it I should do something cool with it, but I haven't
1: <laughs> That is so cool. You see that's the kind of thing like her recipe book it's got all these extra bits like tucked in and everything and her handwriting is really badly spelled yeah um, grandmother
0: too They're like she she doesn't seem to know how to do a lowercase letter for some reason But anyway <laughs> <laughs> so you used to be a book editor. Tell me about going from being a book editor to writing these three novels? Like, how did that happen? And when
1: did you, did you always want to write? Tell me your whole story. Uh, so I I always did want to write. I think particularly after I became a, a book editor, because there's something about really writing and editing somebody else's work. And I think it just makes you think, I can do this. You know, I can do th- I think it's something I've always in the background I've always wanted to do, but I was like, oh no, but I would never be able to do that. And then when I became an editor, I thought, oh, well, maybe I could, maybe I could. So I always started, you know, right back in my twenties, I started kind of writing little bits and pieces and everything and writing novels that never got finished. (laughs) And after I had my first daughter and I thankfully gave up work for a little while. And suddenly I was like, right, this is it. This is my To, to do something. I was doing a bit of part time editorial work at the time. And one of the books that I was editing freelance was a book on the war in Afghanistan. And I, I, I the information inside and just the kind of the details of the war and how it affected the society there really just really it got inside me. And I just thought this is it. It's like war is just such a, a big Moment in time, culturally, I think you know, particularly for women, the women involved. You know, um, I've always had this love for the Second World War because of my grandmother, and I think those two things came together. And I thought, this is it. I, I need to write a book about the Second World War, a novel, and it's about women and how how they changed, how they had to change, but how that change was for the good. How much freedom an excitement and challenge it was for them. And yeah, so that's kind of how it started. So my daughter, it was my second child was just born and I just thought, right, I'm going to do this. And it was—it's a difficult time to start writing a novel. <laughs> but luckily, my my youngest daughter was quite—you know—she slept well, <laughs> so I had every nap time. And you just snatch like ten minutes here, ten minutes there, you know, and do the best you can. Really, I set up my desk at the end of the dining room table, where it still is today. And because, you know, we live in an open plan house, it's, you can keep an eye on everything when you're, you know, (laughs) so you can kind of coordinate some kind of playing activity and kind of come back, have a quick, you know, or you can have people at the other end of the table doing their homework or, you know, some sort of art project, you know, and everything. So there's been an awful lot of that. And the big moment for me was to when my where my youngest went to preschool and suddenly I had like these three sacrosanct hours and I would never let any anything get in the way of those three hours you know so yeah I mean you know now they're a bit older so that's it's a bit easier now you know and with
0: how, how old are they now
1: they are so the youngest is 11 and the eldest is 15 yeah so okay yeah <laughs>
0: Yeah. I thought this was going to be my year. This was my year when my littlest was starting kindergarten. So I have two seventh graders and a first grader and a kindergartner. And I was like, wow, I just have to get this guy to kindergarten. And I'm going to have the whole day to myself to work and do whatever. And I can like, you know, pursue anything I'll have all this time. And then of course this pandemic happened and I'm like, okay, <laughs> half the year they've been like been in all in the next room, you know, it's been crazy. So. Maybe eventually, but then of course, I'll miss them. So, anyway, yes, the time, all to say, the time when they're actually out of the house and in school, I feel like is the only time. I mean, I keep my ringer on because you never know, but that I feel like I can do, I have like the freedom to pursue something. Do you know what I mean?
1: (laughs) I do, I do. But in a way, that's what I had to do with, you know, is just kind of walk away from that idea and just think, right, I can do it with them just over there. And I can just come here and just quickly do a little bit and then go back and everything. I, I think yes. in a way, writing, I always think writing is a little bit like reading and you can just pick up a novel and just carry it. And I've always just been able to kind of go in and I'm just like there. Okay? Yep. <laughs> and I always think that's a bit like that. And you kind of go back to where you were with the writing and you're like, oh, yeah, that's where I was. And, you know, carry on and everything. I'm an editor by profession as well. And I think that's quite helpful knowing that I'm going to go back over it again. (laughs)
0: Yes. No, I know there are some authors who need to like have a sense of quiet or a place and that's fine. Everybody's got different preferences, but anything I've tried to write, even if it's just an article or whatever, you know, it's in the doctor's waiting room or it's, you know, on the floor while I'm playing with that, you know, it's like, I I can't be precious about it. Like I've got all these kids. So anyway, and sometimes I think, and I don't know if you agree or not, it's like the more chaos, the more like material is floating around and like, you're kind of inspired. Like, I feel like the days when nothing goes on, I can't even write one article. (laughs) I mean, I'm like, "I, I have like four hours free without podcasts. Oh, I should get that thing done. And then like the time goes by. But if I only have like 30 minutes to get it done, I'll get it done.
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree. I completely agree. When my when my little one was at preschool and I had those three hours, oh my goodness, I was writing those thousands of words. You know, they were just all coming out. And but I think in a way though, I think, you know, writing is it, it takes a lot of kind of emotional energy out of you. I think novel writing particularly and if you know that you've got at that point at, at midday you've just got to drop everything <laughs> and go and do errands with your daughter for the rest of the afternoon you could put your all into it with the knowledge that you know the rest of the day you don't really you have a different type of taxing <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what's your favorite thing now to both cook when you're in your own kitchen front and what is your favorite thing to read?
1: So I think cooking is, I, you know, I really still love that mushroom soup. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> still the, the mushroom soup really goes down well here. Just all sorts. I mean, I think it's, it's to do with creativity. It's the same sort of thing as there. It's kind of like, this is a moment to try different things and, you know, just really spread your wings and work out what's, find out what, what works, you know, and reading. Oh, I'm just a historical fiction fan. That's what I love. And I'll always go back to it. you know what I mean? Every so often I read a bit of nonfiction, but, but it's normally World War II related.
0: <laughs> well, there is no, no lack of that. I mean, there is so much good, amazing historical fiction based on World War II. I feel like Every day I get five different emails about a new one popping up. (laughs) But I think what what you've been able to do too is sort of stand out like with this book, for example, The Kitchen Front, it's a new take on a time that has been written about over and over and over and over again. And it's not just the cooking, it's also the relationship you make with the sisters and how you know one person, one sister is struggling and the other sister is like having this more lavish lifestyle and what the war does to a family and I don't know. It's just, there's always a new way to sort of package up a topic to make it relatable regardless of when it happens.
1: Yeah. No, I think, I think that what that comes down to is not so much that it's based on second world war, but I I think you can kind of drop, drop down in any period of time and create a good story with some of those storylines. But I think what the Second World War does, as I kind of mentioned earlier, is, is that it's such a actually there's like a sociologist, Francis Merrill, he said that war is the biggest instigator of social change. And I, I think that's such a an important message, is is you know, you're you're kind of making a you know this hue you're you're in a situation where there's this huge change that is going on there's massive kind of implications for you and your family and everything and so you're you're kind of putting these familial situations like the two sisters in a situation that is already complicated by the situation of war if you see what i mean so yeah so so in a way I, I think that, that that makes it different I mean a lot of the war the, the war books that are com- novels that are coming out are to do with the war itself, if you know what I mean whereas this is more of kind of home front kind of take on it it's more you know the war is bubbling in the background there's all these cultural and social implications that are filtering through to women like these. Do you watch
0: cooking shows yourself? Oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> Could you tell? (laughs) Uh, I could tell. I could tell. I was just thought I might ask.
1: (laughs) I love cooking shows, yeah. But uh, I have to say, I don't really have a huge amount of time to watch them. But my daughter, one of my daughters loves cooking and she loves watching these shows as well. So we spend a lot of time watching, (laughs) particularly the Great British Baking Show and some of the other kind of dessert, dessert kind of orientated shows, Yeah we were trying the other night to
0: find something, you know, it's tough having kids that rage in age from six to 13 to find like a family movie, you know, like it's, it's tough. We go through, takes half an hour just to find something, but everybody loves these cooking shows. Like everyone loves nailed it. And like, it's one of the only things we can agree on and that everybody likes. And I was kind of thinking, a friend of mine was like, why is everybody sitting around watching cooking shows? Cause like his, five-year-old loves cooking shows and something. I was chatting with him. And I think it's like in the olden days, maybe everybody was cooking all the time and everybody learned and feeding ourselves is such, that's the most important human thing we can do, right? Without food, we, that's it. We have to rely on food. And instead of being by, you know, the ankles or the, you know, apron skirts or whatever you call it of parents as they cook, since we're ordering in, or we're, you know, taking out frozen dinners, sometimes, I don't know. I feel like there's this evolutionary reason why younger people are drawn—not just younger people, but people in general—are drawn to cooking shows. It's like how we survive. And yes, it's fun and entertaining, but I do feel like there's this very deep reason why we all are drawn to these shows.
1: Yeah, I think. I think. Well, I think. I think that's, <laughs> that's my theory. I think. Actually, you know what? I think this is why the the government in the second world war, the Ministry of Food wanted everyone to have cooking contests in the second world war i think it's exactly that reason i think i think contests are just interesting you know that you you like before long even with a half even with nailed it like me and my daughter they're going okay who do you want to win like you know and it's a half hour show you know <laughs> but we we both like they're going okay what's, what's going to happen, what's going to happen, you know, and everything. And I I think it's, there is definitely an element of, you know, what's going to, you know, are they going to make something that's really nice or is it going to be a complete disaster, you know? And in a way though, I mean, that's, that's the thing about cooking shows, I think is that if it is a disaster, it's not the end of the world.
0: (laughs) No, it's often very funny. which is a good lesson to remember for my own sort of cooking foibles and, <laughs> and disasters. So, <laughs> and a good sort of metaphor for life. You know, you can try and sometimes it just turns out badly, but hopefully you laugh and you move on. So I don't know. Seems like a good lesson for these trying times these days. <laughs> so are you working on a new novel now?
1: I am, yeah. Yeah, I am working on a new novel and I shouldn't really talk about it. So. <laughs> But it is set in the Second World War again. I mean, it's and it's also kind of home front based, really. And it's just such a fascinating time. As I said before, it's, it's I think that the lengths the government went to to kind of standardize rationing and just, you know, control people's lives. They actually say, I once read that it's the most controlled situation that you can get rather than being, you know, completely communist. Yeah. So, So, yeah. And once again, some interesting and intriguing characters. Yeah. Excellent. Oh, I'm excited.
0: Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? I think
1: finish. (laughs) Finish (laughs) something. One of the problems I always had, and I think a lot of it was because I was working full time is that, you know, it takes such a long time to write a novel. And I think if you, and and you are bound to have other ideas. (laughs) That you think are better than the one that you're writing. And I think <laughs> I think the other thing is that once you're starting to write something, after a certain amount of time, it loses its novelty. So you instantly think, oh, I quite like this other idea over there. Oh, let me have a look at this other idea. And when really you need to just focus on one thing and just finish it. Yeah. I
0: just started this online publication for Medium. It's called Moms Don't Have Time to Write. And I think you should write a piece for it called when novels lose their novelty and like how to stay focused. So if you're interested <laughs> or I will. Not for me, for someone, I, I think that would be really yeah. would be a very inspiring piece of writing advice. So anyway, think about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much. This was so fun. And I'm so glad we got to talk about your book. I'm contemplating Mushroom Soup now, even though it's not normally a favorite, but you've sort of sold me on it. So maybe I'll I'll put this in the rotation. And and thank you. I'll be thinking of you next time. We all watch Nailed It. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun meeting you and talking about the book. You too. I hope our paths cross in person one day.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, have a great day. Thank you. You too. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Today's
0: sponsor was Gemist, G-E-M-M-I-S-T dot Give it a try, 20% off their shampoo and conditioner subscriptions. Go to Gemist.com and get your personalized recommendation. Enter Zibi at checkout for 20% off. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.